Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all the news you need to know in Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Joining me this week as my co-host is Mary Clarkson. Mary owns La Olivier, a French restaurant in Montrose. Mary, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. It's good to see you. Thanks for joining me. Before we dive in, I just want to note uh, your chef, Olivier, had knee surgery this week. How is how is chef doing? He is already running laps around the kitchen on crutches. Um, he's supposed to take it uh, easy for 48 hours, so he's hopefully going to rest the rest of today and... We'll be back in the kitchen on crutches tomorrow. All right. Well, we'll be thinking about him. I hope he has a speedy recovery. All right. All right. Let's get into the news of the week. It's been a quiet week, a little bit, in the Houston food world. But the big story, the story that I reported exclusively for Culture Map, is that bagels are coming to the Heights. Avi Katz, the owner of Katz Coffee, and Greg Goldstein, a local attorney, are going to open a restaurant called Golden Bagels and Coffee. It's going to be on White Oak, right across the street from Black Swan Yoga. Houston doesn't really have a lot of bagel options. As as someone who is both Jewish, the grandson of a kosher caterer, and just someone who really likes eating bagels, there's really only three bagel bakeries in the Houston area. There's Hot Bagel Shop on Shepherd. There's New York Bagels on Hillcroft near Meyerland. And then there's Bagel Express out in Sugarland that really serve authentic New York-style bagels that I want to eat. So there's a lot of excitement about the prospect of a fourth bagel option. Mary, do you share that excitement? Are you are you ready for more bagels? You know, I love a good bagel when I'm traveling, especially, you know, in New York. Um, I think we do lack for a solid option, so I'm excited that there's going to be one close in. It's interesting you know, obviously most bagel shops are kind of grab and go affairs. You know, maybe they do sandwiches. They don't typically have a lot of seating. They don't change very much. I mean, hot bagel shop just relocated from one end of the strip center to a new building in a, an adjacent strip center. They barely had to change their address. Golden is going to be a little bit more sophisticated, a little more coffee shop, more seating. It's going to have a patio. It's going to serve a full breakfast and lunch menu. And it's walking distance from a popular hike and bike trail, all of which seem to me to bode well for its prospects for success. I think it's going to do well in the sense that it's offering more than just breakfast options. And the location, I think, is key. I mean, I think they're going to get a lot of business from the hike and bike trail. Well, the other thing they're going to do is they're going to cure and smoke their own locks, maybe use some local fish every now and then. I'm intrigued by the possibility of, say, you know, house-made cream cheese with, House-made smoked salmon. Yeah, or house-made smoked salmon or even gulf fish. So like house-made smoked amberjack for something like that. That that would definitely elevate what we're seeing from local bagel shops. I'm excited. Good smoked salmon is kind of hard to come by. Um, So if they do that well and other fish, I think that's going to make it a little more substantial. And just another sign that whatever's going on in the Heights is uh, showing no signs of slowing down. Number of High-profile openings there all summer and more to come into the fall. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Moving on, 
foreign and domestic, the acclaimed Austin restaurant is teasing once again that they are planning to come to Houston. I'll, I'll say I traded a couple of emails with Ned Elliott, the owner of foreign and domestic. He's not ready to talk details. He didn't tell me whether or not he signed a lease yet. Of course not. He, uh, he told me he would tell me for $100,000. I said, how about 10 bucks and a shot of Weller 12? So we agreed on that. I have the Weller 12. I have the 10 bucks. Ned, if you're listening, I'm ready to listen when you're ready to talk. But Foreign and Domestic has been one of those restaurants that people I know in the restaurant industry here in Houston like to visit every time they go to Austin. Have you been to Foreign and Domestic? Where you, you go to Austin pretty regularly. Where does it rank for you among Austin restaurants? You know, Chef Olivia and I went to Foreign and Domestic when it first opened, and it left quite an impact on us. And definitely um, for him, I know that for a fact. It ranks pretty high up there. I don't think we have anything quite like it in Houston right now. I think they would do really well in Houston because they've been around, and a lot of Houston uh, chefs and industry people and people outside of the industry know Foreign and Domestic. Um, I think they would do fantastic in Houston. I mean, I kind of think of them Montrose Heights, but I think anywhere in Houston they would do well. Um, it's an intimate restaurant, so if they came to Houston, I think they'd need to keep that intimacy, um, kind of keep it small and try not to go too big. And I think if they do that, they'll have a, a cult following really quickly. Yeah, I mean, how would you describe it? Kind of eclectic small plates? Almost kind of classic style, American. but it's American. I mean, it's just small bites. You basically order a bunch of different items until you're full and the menu i believe changes daily um, it mixes up pretty regularly for sure good cocktails it's got that chef's counter with the open kitchen that's really nice love that you can see inside of it yeah part of the experience so something to follow and and to his credit ned has talked about this for at least a couple of years i you know you can google and find i have an article on culture map from a couple of years ago where he talked about kind of what he's looking for slightly like Slightly bigger space, definitely better parking. You know, in Austin, it's right in the middle of a neighborhood, and you you will definitely park in front of somebody's house and walk <laughs> a little bit at least to get to the restaurant. That doesn't typically fly in Houston. As someone who owns a restaurant with limited parking, that's something you know well. Oh, well, that's absolutely true. But you're talking to somebody who took over a former adult DVD store, so the neighbors love me. <laughs> <laughs> so finding the right location is really important, but I think whatever – Wherever foreign and domestic winds up, it'll definitely attract quite a bit of attention. The other, the other story that I reported last week that I wanted to get your opinion on, Jimmy Choo Asian Kitchen, <laughs> a late-night restaurant that took over the Postcall space on Westheimer near Mandel, announced that it has closed. The owner, Erwin Palchik, said he's looking for an investor uh, to make a small investment that, I haven't talked to Erwin about this, but that just based on the, the nature of the conversation that I would guess is somewhere between fifty and $100,000, roughly the amount of money it takes to hire a new chef because he's found a new chef who's ready to implement a new menu, mix that place up a little bit, and turn Jimmy Choo into a better version of what it is, which uh, my dining experiences there were a decidedly mixed bag. As someone who has invested in restaurants, has opened a restaurant. Does, does this seem like a good investment opportunity for you? Or does the notion that like, we just need a little bit of money to get this thing going. Does that seem like, is that an investment you would advise 
someone you know to make. I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but I've got to be honest. I mean, you uh, just took a, a family trip to Maine, and when you were out of town, I saw this big, you know, white sign on the door, and I drove by and looked at it and said, you know, we're closed for, I think, repairs or modeling or something like that for a week or 10 days. And I was like, mm-hmm, and that doesn't look good. Um, but, you know, you found out about this when you came back. Uh, this is not something for myself that I would touch. I generally find that um, something like this either needs to find their legs on their own, and if that's not a possibility, I think from an outside investor standpoint, it's better to let uh, this restaurant take its natural path and then for somebody else to come in and have control. Typically, people want to have control. I think somebody coming in this late in the game to invest, um, you know, maybe Irwin is amenable to that. I know Irwin. Um, I like him. But from a business side, this is a tough spot to be in. Yeah, I've never heard of a restaurateur going to the media. He went on the Cleverly Stones radio show to announce that this is what his plan was. I've never heard of a restaurateur soliciting investors via the media before. No, it's usually back channels and industry contacts, and it's usually not something uh, publicly advertised. But, you know, it's a it's a new dawn, a new area with GoFundMe pages and you name it. So anything's – I'm surprised by it, but not surprised. Um, nothing really surprises me anymore. Had you been to Jimmy Choo? I've been once, and uh, let's just say I may have been – uh, having a cocktail or two and needed just some good late night comfort food. So I can't give you a fair, um, opinion on what I might think it might be for like, you know, a regular dinner. It was a, a late night. Well, and it was pitched as a late night spot. It was supposed to be up until three or even four in the morning, especially on Fridays and Saturdays. You know, Montrose had that late night Asian spot for years with Hollywood Vietnamese. Of course, Mai's is right next door in Midtown. The rice box at one point. Yeah, the rice box truck that operated in the parking lot across the street from Poison Girl stayed open late. Now that's gone because he moved to a brick and mortar up in the Heights. So there's definitely an opportunity there for someone. I'm just not sure. I liked Postgall when they were there. I mean, I know that wasn't a late night spot. It's it's a good, it's been around forever. It's a spot. good location with pretty good parking. Mm-hmm. And street parking. Right. But, and, you know, good night, Charlie's. David Keck's Honky Tonk is going to open right across the street. You're right next to Poison Girl. You're right next to Hugo's. You know, it's right in the heart of Montrose. It's, a, it's an interesting opportunity for someone. I just wonder about who this magical person is that's going to give them money without making some pretty significant changes, probably starting with the name, right, to, to get the whatever negative memories are associated with Jimmy Choo. You know, new chef, new menu, new name would seem like a promising way to go. Come on, Eric. Investment opportunity. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, we're still working. The The podcast is growing all the time, and I'm very appreciative of our listenership, but not quite at the point where I can I can sink 100K into reviving a late-night Asian spot. Um, and then the only other topic I want to talk about in the news of the week, as I said, it's a, it's been a quiet week, is that my colleague Marcy DeLuna published a list of restaurants that are serving special Sunday supper menus. These are discounted menus with limited choices. Uh, Bosta Kitchen and in the Museum District and Eloise Nichols, right next to River Oaks District near the Galleria, are both running Sunday night fried chicken specials. Hay Merchant, the craft beer bar associated with Underbelly, in Montrose is running a fried chicken special. And State of Grace, which run our Culture Map 
Tastemaker Awards Neighborhood Restaurant of the Year has started doing basically a meet and three, 29 bucks. Each person at the table picks their entree. You have to agree on three sides. You get dessert. You get a, a starter, you, which is uh, biscuits, fresh biscuits with a little bit of ham. And then you get a salad for the table. I ate that dinner on Sunday. He does a lot of food for 29 bucks. And State of Grace is one of my absolute favorite restaurants in town. What a great way to experience a more casual version of what they do. One of my friends had a steak. They do a redfish. They were doing a Sunday gravy, like an old school pasta with meat. They were doing soft shell crab, chicken fried steak, fried chicken. Those were some of the choices. There's a vegetarian option. So I just want to get the word out about that article because it's, it's an interesting way to try some restaurants maybe that either you haven't been to in a while or you've overlooked at a lower price point. And it's just a, it's just a good, it's just a good atmosphere on a Sunday night. You can go early. Game of Thrones is starting up. So I know, I know everybody wants to, nobody wants to miss Game of Thrones, but so go early, eat, and then you'll be in the right frame of mind to settle in on the couch for the adventures of Tyrion and Daenerys and the whole crew. Sounds awesome. For State of Grace, it's a great price point if you've never tried it also. All right. Then we'll be right back with the Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Okay, so for the Restaurants of the Week, we're going to do something a little bit different. Neither Mary nor I tried a new restaurant last week, so we don't have a new opening to talk about. I will say uh, Roca Accor and 85C, the new Taiwanese bakery in Chinatown, are the two hottest openings in the city right now. So if you haven't been to either one of those, listen to last week's podcast, get caught up on what you need to go, and then go there. So since we don't have new restaurants to talk about, we're going to look back just a little bit. I'm calling this an audio listicle. (laughs) We're going to talk about the best new restaurants of 2017 so far. Now, Mary, I sent you a list of like, 20 possibilities you did we're going to do this fantasy football draft style you're going to go first you're going to pick one okay talk about what you like about it i'm going to go second i'm going to pick one and then i'm going to pick another one snake draft then you'll pick then i'll pick and we'll we'll go for like three or four restaurants each that'll give people a list of places to catch up on okay i'm going to start with yawacha um this is a sister restaurant to a favorite uh restaurant of mine uh hakasan um, this restaurant group is very established. Uh, their dumplings are incredible. Uh, their desserts are very good. It's located in the Galleria. Um, I think this is probably my favorite restaurant in the Galleria area right now. That's an ambitious pick, and I like it because it left me the real best restaurant to open this year, which is Sochi, Hugo Ortega's Oaxacan restaurant that just opened up in the Marriott Marquis downtown. Just got four stars from my beloved colleague, Chronicle critic Allison Cook. Hugo won a James Beard Award this year. He grew up visiting Oaxaca as a child. So this restaurant mixes his childhood memories of the region, which is incredibly diverse, with obviously the experiences that he's had as a chef, as a professional. It's a beautiful space. Menu is interesting. You can do a mole tasting there. Of course, their Sunday brunch is fantastic. The only problem with the restaurant is the valet at the marquee is so slow it takes like 10 or even 15 minutes to get your car back so i street park when i can but 
from the moment you walk in the door, everything else about Sochi is really wonderful. Eric, that was going to be my second pick. Well, <laughs> now you... All right. So my next pick is one-fifth, okay? Um, I love Chris Shepard. I've loved his food and his cooking since his days at Catalan, and I'm most excited about the next iteration of one-fifth, which is going to be the Romance languages, I believe, uh, Spanish, French, and Italian. So as an owner of a French restaurant, I'm excited about what he's going to do there, but I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with the Spanish dishes one-fifth in its current iteration for the next, uh, I guess, 20 or so days until the end of this month is a steakhouse, and his steaks are incredible. It's a little bit of a splurge. Um, I suggest going with a big group so you can get, um, you know... The baller board. It's all about the baller board. The baller board. Yes, Eric. Enough for everybody to share these amazing steaks and the sides. Um, His uh, side of corn is like a creme brulee corn. I don't know the exact description of it, but it's amazing. You must try it. Service is great. The building is beautiful and historic in my mind. It was the former Marks building. So date night, expense account restaurant. Try it before August because it will be no more. Well, and Chris has been in Italy. If you follow Chris on Instagram, which of course you should, you can see C Shepherd thirteen. By the way, is the, the Instagram account. You can see that he's been in Italy, learning pasta, trying different foods. All of that is going to come back to Houston when One Fifth Romance Languages opens in September. All right, my next pick, Riel Restaurant. We had Ryan Lachane on the podcast a few weeks ago. This restaurant blends his Canadian upbringing, his Ukrainian heritage, with the kind of modern Southern Asian-influenced cooking that he worked with both Chris Shepard at Underbelly and Brian Caswell at Reef on. Just a very eclectic menu, a place where you can have, you know, Gulf Coast oysters with a delicate granita or seasonal vegetables or alongside Japanese fish karage. And, of course, I think they're, they're best known for two of the more Ukrainian dishes, his borscht, which is this very creamy, very pureed, delicious version of that dish that's usually very hearty, very chunky, but this is a lighter version and the pierogies that he serves alongside a steak. I know we ate it real together. We had a really good meal. Uh, And Ryan is beginning to tweak the menu a little bit, make some adjustments. He's got a great group of guys working there. His general manager, Chris Fleischman has the beverage program on point and it's just a pretty space. It's located on Fairview right in the middle of Montrose just feels good in there. They've rolled out happy hour recently. Again, it's a restaurant that serves multiple purposes, equally good for like dinner with friends during the week. You can have a date night there. You can just come in for happy hour and have a couple drinks. It's a place I've been very satisfied with every time I ate there. All right. I'm throwing you a curveball. Better luck tomorrow. <laughs> uh, Not a restaurant. <laughs> it was on your list of it possibilities. Was on my list. So I'm picking it because sometimes a cocktail for dinner is all you need, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Cocktails and a patty melt. All right, tell the people about Better Luck Tomorrow. Uh, The cocktail program, of course, uh, is run by Bobby Hugel of Anvil fame. Uh, The drinks here are on par with Anvil, if not better. Uh, Best-in-class bartenders here. Uh, The cocktails are uh, seasonally oriented um, for on on their cocktail list. So um, if you want, you know... A beautiful peach uh, cocktail. They ha- I think I had a peach old-fashioned last time. I don't want to misquote that, but it was spectacular. Um, their drinks are wonderful. I prefer Inside at the Bar. We're in the dead heat of summer. Um, I had the Party Melt, which was very good. I went to 
I think a week or so ago for my third visit, and that was my best visit yet. So I'm just excited about how they're going to evolve and uh, how the menu is going to change from a food standpoint. But this is this is this is my jam right here. Yeah, and we'll say the food is by Justin Yu, who was the James Beard Award-winning chef of Oxart. He'll open Theodore Rex, his new restaurant in the former Oxart space, sometime soon, I think, as far as I know. But so it's it's a little more elevated than typical bar food. And again, they've just started a happy hour. It mimics the Anvil happy hour that's half off house cocktails for an hour and a half every day. And it mimics the public services happy hour, 25% off wine. So again, duck out of work a little bit early, try some food, have a drink, get a discount. And and it's a it's a fun space. It's a comfortable space. It's got a nice patio. And it's become, I think, a already a real asset to the Heights. All right. So my next pick, pick number three, Starfish, Lee Ellis's seafood restaurant, Cherry Pie Hospitality. They opened it up uh, just south of the Heights, Heights Boulevard. What I like about this is that it is a seafood-oriented restaurant, as the name implies. Fish is certainly the star. And they have beautiful salmon. They have a bouillabaisse that's really enjoyable. Those lobster puffy tacos are killer. They have a great oyster program. But they have not ignored meat. I think that they do a beef tartare with crispy shallots. It's maybe my favorite appetizer of the year. They have a lamb T-bone that's very satisfying. They have a burger that I haven't tried yet but looks delicious. And they've started doing a happy hour with dollar oysters and $5 martinis. So it's a beautiful room. Lee has such a great eye for design. All these places always look good. Feels good in there. And it's a busy, that is that restaurant in a, in a year when I think sometimes restaurants are having some difficulty making their presence known. That's a restaurant that's done a good job of getting the word out and they have been rewarded because every time I'm either there or drive past it, it just looks super busy. All right, let's do, let's do at least one more. Ooh, okay. Not on your list, but a restaurant you and I both visited, uh, Chengdu Taste. Yes, that should have been on my list. <laughs> I was thinking, did he intentionally leave this one off? Um, but we had a fantastic meal there. We talked about it in one of our earlier uh, podcasts. But um, it's a little bit of a drive. It's off of Bel Air. Uh, it's a, a California import, I believe, right, Eric? It is, yes. It comes to us from Los Angeles. It's a Sichuan restaurant. You go to Mala. You've been to Chengdu Taste. What about Chengdu Taste apart for you? Ooh, oh my gosh. Um, it's going to go back to what we talked about previously, but just the, the most simple dishes were done extremely well. And, you know, it's okay to get Kung Pao chicken every now and then. But um, they're cold. We had a, was it cold rabbit or cold duck? Um, it was cold rabbit. Cold rabbit. Uh, that was exceptional. It was a surprising uh, dish for me. But, um, it was great. It's a little bit of a drive, but it's BYOB. It was a, it was a, it was just a really memorable experience. Picking a fourth one is hard because I'm going to make somebody mad no matter what I do. <laughs> I really like Field and Tides. We had Travis, Travis Lennig and Chico Ramirez on the show a few weeks ago. What they're doing in the Heights is really special. It's a place I really like. But, you know, you picked a bar with Better Luck Tomorrow. I'm going to pick a bar, too. Bayou and Bottle in the lobby of the Four Seasons. Just talk about a room that just feels very elegant. It's very comfortable. The food menu is mm. by Richard Sandoval, this chef with 40 restaurants all over the world. It's comfortable. The drinks are 
fantastic. Shout out to Miss Judith. Shout out to our good friend Judith Piotrowski. It's just a it's a it's a place that I haven't been that often, but that I've really enjoyed, and so that's on my list. Mary, we're uh, we're out of time. We've got Morgan Weber coming up, so I just thank you. You're welcome. We can follow you on Instagram, La Olivier Houston. Yes, and of course. LaOlivierHouston.com for everything going on at the restaurant. Yeah. You guys have any wine dinners or anything coming we've up that we Bastille should know about? We've got Bastille Day coming up July ah. 14th, and we are going all out. Um, we've got a bunch of rosé specials that day and champagne specials. We're also going to have a local musician, Devin Warner, sing. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Bastille Day is always, always a big celebration for us. Uh, sweet and savory crepes as well, so we're looking forward to it. All right. Thank you so much, and I'll be right back with Morgan Weber from Agrihole Hospitality. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by Eighth Wonder Brewery. Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries. Their brewery in East Downtown, open eight days a week, as they like to say. It's a great place to go. Uh, if you're going to an Astros game or a Dynamo game, it's a great place to go before the game, have a couple of beers, maybe a bite to eat from the Eatsy Boys food truck that's always parked on site. You know, beat the uh, beat the stadium prices for both beer and food while having a great local product. You know, certainly I have drank more than my fair share of Dome Foam, their cream ale, and Rocket Fuel, their Vietnamese coffee porter. But the fun thing about going to the brewery is that there's always something new to try, whether it's Haterade, their Goza, whether it's Vice Timer, the Hefeweizen, or the IPA, their double IPA that comes in at a relatively hefty 8.8% ABV. So thank you to 8th Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Morgan Weber. He's one of the principals of Agricole Hospitality. They were the big winners in our Culture Map Tastemaker Awards this year. They took Restaurant of the Year for Cultivare. They took Bar of the Year for 8-Row Flint. And then Morgan's business partner, Ryan Perra, took Chef of the Year for his work at both of those concepts and also Revival Market. Morgan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on, Eric. So, obviously, the thing, I don't know, should we, should we just talk about the whiskey before we do anything else? Well, we can get into that now or later. It's whatever, man. <laughs> I'm staring at a, at a half a shot glass full of Whistle Pig 10-year straight rye that you bought a whole barrel, right? This is uh, yeah. We've gone through several barrels uh, of Whistle Pig over the last couple of years. They've been a good partner for us, and kind of brought this one in. We just got this; uh, it just landed about a week ago, and it's our new barrel. It's almost uh, it's almost thirteen years old. Wow! All right, and well, I brought it in to to kind of talk about some of the differences and why you would try a proprietary single barrel versus the regular stuff. Okay, well let's let's start with a let's little bit start of this. with a little bit of this. Cheers! Cheers, sir. Ooh, not bad for two o'clock in the afternoon. Kind of like a bottled mint julep. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about this barrel and kind of how you picked it. Well, so when we opened Eight Row almost two years ago now, uh, I thought, you know, it's really easy to go into a liquor store like Specs or Goody Goody and just kind of point to one of everything on the wall and say, we're going to create our bourbon collection. Right. And there's a lot of bars, we don't need to name names necessarily, but they open up and they have 200 whiskeys yeah. on the wall or three, even 300 whiskeys on the wall. Yeah. Well, so with eight row, we thought let's go in to the distilleries and try to bend their arm and talk them into doing some barrel programs, which is something that's not necessarily new. Like a lot of people have done barrel programs. 
uh, for years, but we were like, let's have the most selection, the widest variety, and uh, really kind of talk these people into giving us some things that are maybe a little bit different or go down a different hole than you might normally get. And I guess it helps that eight row has basically been packed since the day you opened it. <laughs> you sell the whiskey pretty fast. Yeah. They like us. Yeah. You know, we, we moved through a lot of product and, uh, it's, I look at it as relationships with the people, you know, we, we just got back from Jim beam. Uh, we were one of the only accounts in the state that were allowed to pick a uh, barrel of 25th anniversary knob Creek to commemorate uh, that line, and uh, it was it was awesome. And and I mean, that's a you bought a barrel of a bourbon that's basically going to sell for what about one hundred and twenty bucks on a shelf. Yeah, so that's a pretty fancy. It's a pretty big commitment. Yeah, on our end, because most of these barrels cost us between six and eight thousand dollars a piece. The Knob Creek twenty fifth anniversary was a little bit bigger of a chunk, but certainly you're going to give people an opportunity to try something that they can't find on a shelf that they might not get anywhere else. I mean, you know, yeah, absolutely. Pig, you can find whistle pig around, but yeah. Well, one of the things that we don't like, like to do is overcharge for people wanting to kind of experiment. Right. So we did the Pappy Van Winkle thing over Christmas. Uh, Pappy at cost. Yeah. Pat that would, yeah, it was at cost. It was one of the most fun days outside of this most recent, uh, whistle pig St. Arnold's event that we've ever had. Like everybody was just so happy to be there. $6 Pat, you know, yeah, $6 tenure. tenure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know Mary was there. I'm sorry that she couldn't stick around for this part of the show, but I know she yeah. was there. I know she had a great time. It was awesome. Um, we like to have fun with it. Yeah. And you're you're about to start having a lot more fun. Obviously, the thing I really want to talk to you about is what you've got going on in East Downtown. Yeah. A new restaurant, Indianola. Yeah. A new bar, Miss Carousel. And a pizza place called Vinny's. Yeah. How did you decide? I mean, the Heights is so popular right now. New restaurants yeah. are opening there all the time. You've had a lot of success in that neighborhood. Yeah. Why did you decide that your next project was going to be in Edo rather than the Heights? You know, we get kicked over a lot of uh, properties to look at, to walk, to see. Um, there's a lot that's gone on in the Heights over the last three or four years, even since Cultivari's opened. When uh, Revival Market opened in 2011, there, wasn't a ton- there weren't a ton of options. Yeah, it was like you guys and Downhouse and Shade and Glass Wall. Yeah, and that's probably that was and, pretty much it. And Liberty Kitchen. Maybe. Yeah. Well, so since all that, you know, we've had a, a massive amount of openings in the Heights. And we thought, you know what, for this next project, unless the um, property is absolutely, you know, something we couldn't pass up on, let's pump the brakes on the Heights for a little bit. Let's go to an a pl- a area of town that kind of reminded us of what the Heights was, you know, around the Revival Market opening. And then how did you side on this East Village location? Because it's such a big space. Yeah. How quickly did you realize, like, we can't just do one thing with this? Really building? fast. You know, uh, initially, so the, our land landlords there uh, have been longtime friends of mine, um, dating back to my pre-anvil opening days when I was at Metro buying real estate for the uh, light rail expansions that were going on in the mid-2000s. Uh, one of the partners that uh, owns that property came to us almost two years ago and said, Hey, I want you to walk this thing and tell you, tell us what you think. We just closed on it. Um, I love the idea of adaptive reuse and going into these old spaces. And uh, you know, the second we walked it, we were like the magnitude of this is massive and it's going to take 
a number of people opening kind of all at the same time, kind of in, in a similar way that uh, Congress in Maine happened with the okra right, uh, stuff a, a few years ago. Um, to say we, we've really got to, you know, kind of really think this out. And there's enough going on in the area that we felt good about it. Um, we talked to some other guys in the community and uh, to see if they wanted to do something maybe all at the same time with us. And at the end of the day, we're like, you know, we could recreate certain parts of uh, kind of the synergy that the Cultivari Garden and the Cultivari Restaurant have together, um, rethink it a little bit, take a lot of cues from what we've already learned, and do kind of one bigger development. Right. And I think that aspect of it is what's most interesting to me because you're opening three concepts at the same time. Yeah. It's pretty ambitious. It is. We're terrified. <laughs> I think that's a healthy It's a health, It's a terrifying. What are you doing <laughs> to make sure that you haven't bitten off more than you can chew? Yeah, which is a very valid question, which a lot of people have asked me. Um, I'm, I'm not going to use the T word. No, you don't have to. But, you know. <laughs> it's something that's, that's at the forefront of our minds, right? So uh, I feel like with Cultivare Revival Market, 8 Row Flint, uh, they all exist within about a two-minute drive with, from each other. Uh, we have kind of grown very mom and popish over the last seven years, uh, averaging and opening every two years. Um, not really doing anything because we have a gun to our head, but just that's just kind of how it's worked out, right? But there's a lot of opportunity for us to tighten up our ship. Um, I think for the first five or six years, we were completely reactionary to any issues that uh, that came up, whether that was uh, – you know, purchasing issues or, or labor issues or this or that. And so we've been planning the East downtown thing for about a year and a half. Uh, we weren't totally sure it was going to go through, which is why it felt like it took forever for us to do a press release about it. Um, yeah, it's one of the, it was one of the worst kept secrets in the yeah. food world. And I didn't, we didn't really want to, it got out there pretty fast. Thank you, Swamp Plot. Um, f- pretty quickly, like to say, these guys are doing something, but we were not at all ready to to really speak on it because we didn't know if we had a project yet. We were, you know, seventy five percent into design, and still didn't know if we had a project until the numbers came back from our contractor to say, "All right, we can do this deal." Because it is so big, I had no idea how to plan it. I mean, I've done a, four construction projects now, and I feel like every time we've gotten a little bit better. But you know, initially we were talking about elevators and stuff i i you know i don't know how to price that kind of stuff out right so we uh we have taken a lot of steps internally um we we recently moved brian davis from who is our general manager at eight row to director of operations um we just hired uh, an incredible general manager for east downtown we're currently seeking a lot of i guess kind of more corporate positions uh within agricole itself like to, internal accounting internal accounting we're yeah we're looking for a controller right now um we we're we're in the interviewing process for about a half dozen positions that are all revolving around east downtown this doesn't work if if we don't have the right people in place it's it's that simple right and you or i mean one of the one of the right people that you already have in place is of course you have vincent win vincent's awesome yeah you elevated him to a full partner for this project yeah 
how did how did you make that decision, and, and what does that mean for Vincent's role in the company? Um, well, Vincent's role in the company for the last year and a half or so has been culinary director. So uh, we can only, like Ryan and I can only be in so many places at one time. Like we absolutely have to rely on staff and people around us um, to to manage a lot of this stuff. And for us, you know, we want to surround ourselves by people that are better at what they do than we are at what we do, right? So you constantly surround yourself by people that are great at what they do, and hopefully the synergy within that kind of pushes you forward. Um, Vincent has been that from day one. Uh, he started at Revival Market, I think about a month after Revival opened. Um, that man has made so many breakfast tacos at Revival Market. I think he still <laughs> holds the record, and he hasn't worked at Revival Market in like five years. But um, Vincent was always has always been first to show up, last to leave, seven days a week, no no complaining, no nothing. And uh, uh, the creativity that he brings to us, the work ethic that he brings to us, he's an incredible leader. Um, all those things made, you know, and, and this is the first project we've opened since he kind of t- took over that role as culinary director. This was a very natural next step for us. I want to talk a little bit about the individual concepts. Yeah. In the press release, it describes Indianola as dishes from the American canon that one could comfortably partake of every day. Yeah, you love that vagary? Well, when <laughs> I read that, and we talked about this with Urban Swank, or I talked about this with Shannon from Lee's from Urban Swank last week, that sounds kind of black-eyed peeish to me. Yeah, we don't want to be that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we were all sitting around thinking about what uh, the restaurant was going to be. And the name came last. Normally for us, the name kind of comes first and then that dictates what the concept's going to be. And um, it was it was a little bit elusive naming the restaurant. We knew that we wanted to combine certain ideas from Revival Market and uh, um, Cultivari uh, in, in a manner to say it's going to be open for breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? So... Open breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We knew that we didn't want it to to be Italian because that's kind of an easy thought to. Well, we just right. do another it's cultivari. Not cultivari too, right? right. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that we've learned from cultivari: the small plates, the the bringing in incredible ingredients, and not really trying to overfuss them too much. Uh, just rely on really solid cooking techniques and um, kind of letting simplicity reign. Right, I mean, the favorite dish at that restaurant is a black pepper spaghetti that I think has right. like four ingredients. Four ingredients. Right. And we sell, we've sold more of those than anything else combined on the menu. I believe it. Um, I but, had a bowl of it last week. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with Indianola, we knew that we wanted to go more American. And I hesitate to say an American version of cultivare because that's, that's a, kind of a misnomer. But um, we're all sitting around once the name started k- getting kicked around Indianola. And uh, we thought, you know, my whole family came through the port of Indianola in around 1870. Um, Indianola is no longer there. It's a ghost town. But it's right on the coast. It was right on the coast near Port Lavaca. So it got pummeled by a hurricane around 1880. They rebuilt the whole town. And like eight years later, it got pummeled by another hurricane. And they're like, now nah, we're out. We got to go inland. So um, Ryan's whole family came through Ellis Island, Italians. And Vincent's family came through San Francisco, the port of San Francisco. And we're like, we have all of these different ideas uh, 
or all these different backgrounds, not ideas, all these different backgrounds as immigrant cultures, right? And all of the immigrants came through America, whether it was the Czech Germans in South Texas, the Italians and uh, Eastern Europeans and all the other Europeans that came through Ellis Island, Asian community that came through um, San Francisco. And they brought with them all these cooking traditions. And then they just kind of morphed on there, on from there. So it's like you wouldn't really call red sauce lasagna uh, hardcore Italian food. That is more of an American interpretation of a tradition that they brought with them. And that would, when, I, when we say American canon, like you think of lasagna as part of that canon. You might even think of General So's chicken as a part of that canon, not actually relating it to Chinese food. Right, right. I mean, you know, I do a, a segment on Houston Matters every month. July's segment was American food. And how do you define that? Because it's not just fried chicken and burgers anymore. You know, going out for General So's chicken staying home and making spaghetti and meatballs, pizza, tacos. I mean, that's all. Yeah, Tex-Mex is a huge, like, right. you don't find a lot of that stuff that we love. No, but it's, but, you know, if you ask me about, you know, fajitas are as much comfort food to me. I didn't grow up, I didn't grow up eating meatloaf. Right. But we went out to Ninfa's, Papacitos all yeah, the time. Yeah, right, exactly. So that's kind of the, the menu's still evolving. You know, I don't know if anybody remembered that really bad idea we had where we were going to serve dinner at Revival Market. I, I liked it. It was weird. It never quite caught on. <laughs> never quite got on. But, um, you know, Andrew Vassifier, who was uh, our head butcher and charcuterie at, at Revival for a long time, um, brought to that menu a dish that was a really beautifully rethought beef stroganoff that wasn't really that rethought. It was just made with good pasta and good sauce and good meat. Um executed right not that dissimilar from kind of the approach to the black pepper spaghetti at cultivari you know it's that kind of thing that is going to show up on the on the menu it's like there might not be a king ranch casserole right but it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to think what do we love about king ranch chicken right it's pretty delicious and if you don't like it you're lying to yourself (laughs) well chicken and cheese is never a bad starting right Add some cream and mushrooms, and you really got something there. Yeah, but I'm not saying that King Ranch chicken is on it. the The menu is going to be uh, pretty, pretty much constantly evolving from now till when we open. But that's kind of the headspace. It's not going to be. I think when you when you start saying American food or Southern food, you start thinking grits and and all that hop and John. And I think we're we're ready to give that kind of style of food a break for a little bit and just kind of approach this with a. Uh, a little bit lighter hand. Um, I think that's one of the things we've learned from at Cultivari is that you can really go to Cultivari three times a week and have almost a different meal each time. You could eat vegetarian once, you could go pasta once, and you could go small plates and veg- vegetarian pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, it's the only restaurant in Houston where I promise you I order a salad every single time. Uh, me too. I mean, I, I and I wish I could say that I had a hand in those salads, but I don't, And I, but I still love them. <laughs> And then one of your quotes in the about Miss Carousel is that you you had a, a comment about fussy speakeasy style cocktail bars. We have a, a fair number of speakeasy style cocktail bars. Yeah. In Houston they they've done very well and I like drinking at them. But how do you imagine Miss Carousel to be sort of different than that? Okay, so 
I've, I felt like when we put this in the press release, it had the potential of getting me in a little bit of trouble. And that was not the intention. I, I'm sure you've heard from people, but owners of fussy speakeasy well, style cocktails. And I love them. You know, I still go to them. But I'm sitting in, uh, where was I? I was in Nashville last August and uh, was sitting at a, at a cocktail bar and just going through the whole charade. You know, they dropped the menus. No, it wasn't Nashville, it was in Austin. And that one will remain nameless. But uh, I, I'm sitting in front of this guy and at his well, and it takes it's right at 5 o'clock on like a Wednesday. So we're not really looking at getting crushed this early. And I'm sitting in front of him, and I'm watching him make drinks. And I notice that they're using this massive but beautiful ice in every drink, whether it was stirred or shaken. Like massive, beautiful ice is going into a cocktail tent. And I'm sitting here watching this deal go on for about 20 minutes. And uh, finally, I'm just like, God, man, they're they're using that in absolutely everything. That's expensive and it's labor intensive, right? So, right. So, the whole point of shaking the drink is to dilute it and chill it. Yeah. Dilute it and chill it. It takes longer when the ice is really big. It does. But I'm still pretty impressed with their commitment to this idea. So, I'm watching this go down. And I'm, I'm finally, the bartender comes over to me and we've had a really nice drink so far. And, I'm like, hey, dude, um, so do y'all use that ice for absolutely everything? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. So what do y'all, like, have an ice machine here that makes it in the back, and then you cut it down? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, so is that like a Kleinbell? Is that the brand? And, uh, man, y'all cut it down on, like, a meat saw into the, the shapes that you have now? And he's like, yeah. And this dude was so not into having a conversation about this. And I'm like, man, listen. I mean, at some point, he, you, you should have gotten made as someone in the industry, right? People don't just walk in and ask about well, the Klein Bell. Well, and then, I, then I'm like, well, do y'all ever run out like when it's really busy? And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, listen, fella. You have made the conscious decision to sling drinks for a living. Like, your purpose in life chosen by yourself is to get alcohol to my face as fast as possible to make sure that like you're helping me take the edge off of my day right had i don't bartend behind the bar anymore i used to be behind cultivari's bar nightly but had this had any customer or guest walked into our place and said uh, two of those questions asked two of those questions we would have been in an hour and a half conversation because it's obvious that the guest really is interested in what we're doing. And that would have been fun. That makes the night go by faster. That that means you're doing something cool enough that somebody else has a little bit of curiosity about it and maybe learn something. Um, I left that experience thinking, man, we have really jumped off the rails here with this whole cocktail thing. Like it, It's been really great because now we can drop into any secondary market, tertiary market in the country, and there's going to be some place you can probably find via the Googler to go have like a good drink. But outside of that, it's like, do we really need to keep talking about the fact that we're using fresh lime juice and press releases anymore? Like that should just be given. Right. And the restaurant version of that is we don't necessarily need to know every farm you work with. Right. We assume that if you're that's high a quality restaurant serving good food, you're buying from local sources, right. at least for some of it. Well, yeah, I think if you're on a certain level that that should be assumed at this point. Yeah. Um, so, I then went to Nashville and had a really great experience at a a pretty uh, low octane 
but very well done cocktail bar. And it wasn't a speakeasy. And I was like, man, this is super refreshing. Because what I really want to do is go to the Shiloh Club and like have a, an old-fashioned made well. With good spirits. With good fresh spirits, juice yeah. Well. It doesn't have to, I don't have to be dealing with a fussy, fussy mustachioed dude with suspenders behind the bar to know that I'm getting a good drink. Right. And so with Miss Carousel, sorry, that was a long, no, long, no. long way to get to this. That's, that's what this platform is for. Yeah. So with Miss Carousel, we were like, what if we took the, the pretense out of it as much as we could and then just focused on the guest experience and the hospitality associated with that. Um, so much to the point where we are starting without an actual bar for you to sit at, which we can, we know is a risk. We get that. But, um, you know, we have a, a lot, a, a whole crew of bussers and barbacks um, at Cultivari and at Eight Row who know how to make all the drinks. They, uh, purely from just watching. And uh, we we have a, a hard time, if you talk to anyone in the industry in Houston right now, we have a hard time finding great bartenders, right? Um, so with Miss Carousel, we were like, we want to do a lot of cocktails, we want to do a lot of drinks, and we want them to, to be uh, overly thought out, right? Presentation's beautiful, glassware beautiful. But... Uh, we don't want to also have to worry about, you know, some, uh, you know, star star bartender coming in and hanging around for about two months until the latest and greatest next thing opens, and then they move on to there. So we're like, what if we set up the cocktail line like a cooking line, like you have uh, Garde Manger, you have the guy on the fry station, you've got the guy on the grill station. Right, you have like an expediter who garnishes You have an expo. And-, and so why don't we kind of rethink the cocktail bar situation in that manner for Miss Carousel? Now, if this totally blows up and backfires in our face, we can retrofit this for a regular bar uh, very quickly and without much pain. But we thought, all right, well, we've we've gone that far. Let's, let's maybe think about how the, the space is laid out. We're at a really great price per square foot for rent over there so we don't have to stuff as many people uh, as possible within a small square footage space Um, and we can kind of spread out we can get some furniture that's very comfortable to sit in we can take a better design effort uh, towards the whole deal yeah and I'll say one of the things I really like about public services is they have the bar and you can sit at it but they also have these like comfortable couches and you can hang out and they will bring you drinks right People, you don't have to get up to the bar every time and, you know, wait for a drink and interrupt your own, own conversation with your guests. We have uh, knowledgeable service staff on the floor who can point you in the right direction. And uh, we've set it up kind of. It's not a hotel, right? But anytime I travel, I love having a couple drinks at hotel bars. I love hotel bars. I love the loungy nature of hotel bars. So while this is not and, – and the hotel bars, turn of the century, used to be those bars that – that we're on the cutting edge of creativity and doing new things. And like, you know, now we, we get our creativity from Instagram and Facebook. And like, if you were a bartender in New York in 1910 and you were traveling to uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and you stop at the bar there and uh, have a, a cool drink that you weren't familiar with, it would take you, you know, weeks and months to go back to your home bar and, and flesh that out. All right. We're, 
we're running low on time. We still haven't talked about Vinny's. Is there like a brief version? Yeah. Pizza by the Slice? Yeah, we've learned a lot about pizza over the last few years at Cultivari. And we wanted to do, and we all love crushing uh, sliced pizza, right? Especially late at night. Right. It's an easy meal. Um, we wanted to take uh, a really extremely casual approach to counter-service pizza at Vinny's. Um, it's not going to be the same style of pie that we have at Cultivari. It will be all wood-fired, similar oven, but bigger. It's like twice as big, almost. It's a little more New York. A little more New York style, but we're not really even pigeonholing ourselves to that. Um, it's going to be probably a little more gluten-y dough, um, but it'll be available delivery by the slice. We want to be able to cater to downtown uh, painlessly. Um, and there's a ton of new residential in that area. Tons. And, and, the, and every person I talk to that lives near there, every time I say, you're getting a... The Cultivari guys are opening a pizza by the slice joint. They're like, yes. Yeah. We will be there a lot. I'm very excited about that. The The community is is our number one goal uh, to serve over there. We'll also be doing delivery beer and wine uh, for the... Awesome. For the pizza. I have a couple more questions apart from Edo, mm-hmm. things I've always wanted to ask you about. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Should we do another shot? <laughs> we might need another shot. I don't know. Um, just quickly, do you have an update on when you expect to start selling beer and wine at Revival Market? We are in the process of that. Um, it took the city a little while to kind of get all the uh, all the uh, legal matters updated so that we can apply. So we're in the application process now. Okay. And we're then, very excited about that. Um, one of the rumors floating around before you announced what you were doing was that it was going to be a distillery that yeah. you were opening. Was that ever in the cards? Yeah, and it's not off the table now. It's just it. I've been planning that for about two years as well, um, and it's kind of in the same situation as uh, um, East Downtown in general was, where there's a lot of really cool things that are looming, but I don't know exactly which one is going to fall into place. So I haven't really talked too openly about it. But yes, am working on that. Um, I'm very excited about that. It's it's gone down a pathway at this point where, um, if everything falls in the pocket, it's going to be really cool. Okay, and then this is a little more theoretical. Uh huh. You guys, and especially Ryan, I think you've won just about every local award. My Table Chef of the Year, top five on Allison Cook's Top 100. Obviously, you cleaned up at the Tastemaker Awards. Yeah. I don't feel like the national publications have quite caught up yet. Uh, that's fair. I mean, we've gotten a lot of good love and honestly, the way our whole mentality is and the way it has been is that we want to serve Houston. We want to serve this community. If national attention comes, um, additionally, like obviously we'd be into that and, and welcome it with open arms. But, uh, our number one, and I'm trying not to sound too like cliched political, but, we we're happy that every day we open the doors is busy. And when we see people in there three and four times a week, and sometimes we'll see people at revival in the morning at eight row in the afternoon and at cultivari at dinner. Like that's what, that's what keeps us going. Well, I mean, I had dinner at cultivari last week with uh, a wine rep and, and a winemaker who was in from California. We're sitting there. I saw a 
prominent local chef, a local real estate developer, a couple of friends of mine I know who like to go out to eat all the time. You know, I once had a conversation with another restaurant owner who, who said, is our restaurant cool? And I said, look, sorry, like, I respect you. You have a good business, but your restaurant's not cool. You guys are definitely not that. You, you are both cool and you are popular. And it's just such a rare thing to have them together at the same time. You know, I just, as someone who sort of observes this scene and and wants to kind of get the word out about the good stuff happening here, like, I personally want Ryan Perry to be on the James Beard list. I and absolutely I, personally do as well. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I don't, I don't know what has to happen for that, but I'm just going to put that out there. I like that. I like that program. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for us, it's, uh, it's, uh, we're a group of people who meet several times a week and obsess over our own faults. And so we're constantly reevaluating, evolving, addressing issues that we see. I mean, it's like if I go into Revival Market and I have breakfast with my wife and like something drops on the table that is less than stellar and it looks that way, like I can't help but think that if this is happening to me in my own place, like what's happening to people that, you know, don't can't walk in the kitchen and lose their mind? Right, yeah. If they're serving right. that to you, so, like, what the heck are they serving? So I think we all have a very uh, a sobering view of our own establishments and constantly strive to improve. And we take customer feedback so seriously. Like, if if we lose the customers, man, I don't. It doesn't matter how good we think this stuff is. All right. I I feel like I could talk to you for a whole another hour, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there. Are you? We, we have the lightning round. We have five fast, easy questions. Okay. You ready for the lightning round? Yeah, I'm not familiar with this. All right. Well, here we go. Lightning round question number one. What's the first restaurant you ever worked at or bar, I guess? Uh, Anvil. Wow. Yeah. When were you? For... 2009. But... So Bobby, Kevin, and I opened, and Steve Flippa opened Anvil together. Okay. And I had no previous industry experience. It's crazy. It's stupid. <laughs> How long were you there? Uh, I want to say I sold my partnership to them about a year to a year and a half after Anvil opened. Okay. And from that, we opened, Ryan and I opened Revival Market and went on from there. All right. The first concert you ever went to? Oh, DC Talk at Ooh. Six Flags Astroworld. Hear that, Craig Lavati? Did they close with Jesus Freak? Is that how that goes? Uh, this was before Jesus Freak. Wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, best new restaurant, not one you own that you've tried recently. Um, Sochi. Good answer. Uh, your favorite Houston sports figure, all time, past or present? Craig Biggio. And finally, I feel like I know what the answer to this is going to be. Uh -oh. What's your favorite place to get tacos? <sighs> I'm going to go with the bar at Hugo's. But the bar specifically at Hugo's. Okay. Yeah. Not 8 Row Flint. Well, you know, I couldn't say that 8 Row Flint was my favorite new restaurant either. So <laughs> I, I stayed out of the familia. Fair enough. But I also like uh, Tierra Caliente. And that, you know. Yeah. We all do. That. Right. Yeah. All right. Morgan, we can follow you on Twitter, Morgan F. Weber. Yeah. On Instagram at Morgan underscore, underscore. F underscore Weber. Yeah. Uh, Agriculturehospitality.com for all your restaurant related goings on uh thank you so much for doing this. yeah this man has been a thanks blast. for having me on yeah anytime uh and of course you can follow me on twitter at e sandler on instagram at eric sandler 
Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Coming soon to Google Play and Stitcher. I had a meeting today. Uh, and if you are listening on iTunes and you like it, please rate it. Leave a comment. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> I'll be back next week with Mike Raymond from Reserve 101.